Welcome to the teaching ministry of Temple Baptist Church. While we hope you can join us in person, our prayer is that this message will encourage you to love God and serve Him in a deeper way. Well, good morning, everyone. It's great to see you. Certainly happy Easter, everyone. This really is, this really is an amazing day. This day that we celebrate really was a game changer. Everything that we ever hoped for was accomplished uh, on this weekend. And for the one who believes that Jesus Christ is the savior of the world, it is a pivotal point in human history, the resurrection of Jesus Christ. If you're visiting with us uh, this morning, we just wanna say welcome, welcome, welcome. So glad to have you. Thank you for sharing part of your Easter weekend uh, with us here at Temple. You couldn't have picked a better day to join us. And if this is your first time or the first time in a long time, I just wanna let you know, we are a church on the move. We have a mission, we are excited about it. And that is to connect people to Jesus and to one another. We absolutely are convinced, we believe it to the core that the most important relationship anyone can ever have is a relationship with Jesus, man, woman, boy, or girl. And we also think life is just richer when you do it with others. Like they say, better together. And uh, for those who are joining us uh, online this morning, we certainly want to welcome you from wherever you may be watching in the world. Thank you for tuning in this morning. Well, I'm really, really excited about this new uh, series that we're starting today called Done. Have you ever worked on a project that just goes on and on and on and finally when you're, you complete it, you're like, it's done. <laughs> you know, maybe you're a junior high student and you have a newspaper route and you got 125 papers to deliver and it's pouring down rain and you finally deliver the 125th paper, you're soaking, wringing wet and you go, it's done. I can go home now and get warmed up. You know, maybe you're a high school student or college student, you're writing a test, there's 100 questions, it's page five, you get to 99, you get to 100, you slam down your pencil, you go, yeah, it's done. <laughs> maybe, you know, maybe you're working on a bathroom renovations like we have been actually in the last couple of weeks. And there's been this one part that just nags at me, nags at me. Well, finally, we put the one part together on Monday and I'm like, ah, oh, it's done. Finally, it's done. You know, sometimes I get, can get pretty competitive in games, you challenge me to a game of Dutch Blitz or Bunko, and uh, I turn into a different person. And when I get Dutch Blitz, I'm telling you, I yell, you know, Blitz, it's done. I do my little happy dance like I beat everybody else, right? It's done. Nothing left to do. Well, just before Jesus took his last breath on the cross, just before he died, he shouted out a Greek word, to tell us die. It is finished. It is done. What I have come to do has been completed. To tell us die. Transaction completed. No strings attached. Done. Done. He didn't say, oh, I'm almost done. I hope to be soon to be done. I'm almost done. No. I done. It's done. Everything that we needed for a relationship with God. Everything that was needed to have forgiveness of our sins, everything that we needed to, that would give us hope, everything that we needed that would give us the ability to experience the grace and mercy of God was done on Resurrection Sunday. No wonder we get excited. Although I can tell you're really excited. <laughs> and no wonder we get excited. I mean, there's nothing left for us to do to earn God's favor. He's, he's done it all. We no longer have to work ourselves to the bone to try to get God's attention and say, hey, look what I'm doing over here. 
No longer do we have to, you know, be counting all the good things that we do. No longer do we have to keep, you know, um, buffing up our, our resume to look at, you know, look good. Hey, God, are you watching? I'm, I'm beefing up my resume so when I meet you, <laughs> you can look at all the good things that I'm doing. No, no longer do we do that because that's not how it works. We can't do it on our own. And that's what this weekend is all about. He's extended. He has extended grace to us because of the Son of Jesus Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? Do you understand that we're free in Christ? Do you understand that our sins have been forgiven? Yes, very nice, Donald. Very, very nice. I love that. Good thoughts, good truths, good. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, or some kind of electronic device that you can follow along, would you look and turn to John, the book of John? If the Bible is fairly new to you, John is one of the Gospels. It's the fourth book in the New Testament. It's Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. By the way, if you don't own a Bible, we'd love to give you a Bible. I have a whole stack here. You can come right after the service. I'll pass you one. We love that people can have uh, their own Bibles uh, to follow along as we read. If you don't have a Bible, it, although it will be on the screen this morning. In John chapter 1, what we have here is Jesus is gathering together his disciples. And man, what a motley crew they were. I mean, half of his disciples were fishermen. Uh, Hard-working, blue-collar workers just trying to make a living to make ends meet. Uh, in this day and age, they would have been considered like, kind of like the kind of rough guys. Uh, not like the fishermen that you see on television today on those nice boats, you know, and they kind of cast a line and it gets a little hot. They sip something really cold, waiting for that fish to bite. Nothing like that. In this particular day and age, fishermen would be considered insignificant. And half of his disciples that he calls are fishermen. And then he goes ahead and he calls a tax collector. Of all people, a tax collector. Nobody likes them. In fact, they're, they're just known to be so dishonest. In fact, history shows that a tax collector wasn't even allowed to testify in court because nobody's going to believe them. They're nothing but a cheat, a liar. And that's who Jesus is calling to be one of his disciples. And then here in John chapter 1, we learn about Philip. He's call, he calls Philip to be one of his disciples. And when, when Philip has this encounter with Jesus... He's like so amazed. He's just, he's just like blown out of the water. And in fact, in John chapter one, it says that he's so excited, he's so amazed by Jesus that he goes and he finds his buddy, Nathaniel. And he says, Nathaniel, you gotta come, you gotta come in. You have got to meet this person that I've just met. It, it, like, it's incredible. And he says, he says, Nathaniel, you remember like when we were in elementary school and we were studying like the books of Moses and, and, and in there we, we found out that there was, there was some verses that talked about that there was a Messiah coming? You remember when we were in high school and we were studying prophets and prophecies uh, of the Old Testament and it talked about that somebody was going to come and rescue us? Well, I actually met him. I know who he is. You got to come and meet him. His name is Jesus. He's the son of Joseph and he's from Nazareth. And I love I love Nathaniel's answer. Look at it. It's in John chapter 1. And verse 46. He says, Nazareth? Come on. Can anything good come from there? No. That's what he asks Philip. Like, serious. Come on, Philip. Nazareth? Nazareth. I kind of picture, as he's saying that to Philip, for some reason, I, when I was reading it again this week, I, I just picture him folding his arm and making one of those horse sounds, you know, like, 
Really, Philip? Nazareth. You're going to tell me something good comes from Nazareth. It seems like his thoughts are nothing good can come out of Nazareth. And maybe to the casual observer, this may just seem like a very simple question. Hey, can anything good come from Nazareth? See, it seems that Nathaniel is shocked that a Messiah could come from such a place. He's like, okay, you're telling me that all those prophecies and, and the prophets that we heard from days have gone were all talking about a Messiah that, who would come from Nazareth? This question actually gets to the heart of who Jesus is. It gets right to the center of what Christianity is all about. In many ways, this question leads us to discover who Jesus is. Now, Bible scholars kind of differ on uh, what Nathaniel was referring to when he said, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Some Bible scholars say it's referring to the geographical and cultural insignificance of Nazareth. See, during Jesus' time, Galilee was a very remote area, and, and Nazareth is very deep into the Galilee region. And in fact, if you had a map of that day, you could you couldn't even find Nazareth on the map. I mean, this town is so insignificant. In fact, archaeologists used to debate whether there was such a place existed. And it wasn't until some discoveries uh, years later that they came to the conclusion, wow, there really was a place called Nazareth. I mean, it's so far back in the sticks. Um, it's like back in the woods. It's so irrelevant and some scholars believe that Nathaniel is saying, can anything good come out of something like that small? Really? You know, a podunk town like Nazareth? I mean, for the refined Jew living in Jerusalem, Nazareth was like an uneducated, unsophisticated. It's not a place where movers and shakers come from. It's a place that carries absolutely no influence. There's, it's a place with no distinction. Uh, Nathaniel has a hard time believing that, that the Messiah could come from such a place as that. Uh, if you're looking for someone to, to shake things up, to get things moving, where are you going to go? You're going to go, of course, to the city of Jerusalem. I mean, that's a place of sophistication. That is a place of education. That is a place of culture. Anybody who is anybody is from Jerusalem. As I, I hear that lost time for people that live in Point Edwards. Anybody that's anybody lives in Point Edwards. I'm told that all the time. <laughs> well, other Bible scholars believe that Nathaniel is making a reference to the fact that Nazareth was known to be a, a very sinful little town, a town filled with immorality. And so some scholars say Nathaniel is making a reference. Can anything good? come from a city like, town like Nazareth? I mean, how could the Messiah come from such a place? That town is known for its sinfulness and immoral living. I mean, there's just lots and lots and lots of sinners in that town. How could he come from such a place as Nazareth? It almost seems irreverent to think that the Messiah could come from such a place. Kind of two little interpretations here. And, and I think both make a very strong point. Whether it's an insignificant place or a place that is just really bad, really bad. Can anything significant come from a place of insignificance? And can anything good come from a place 
so bad? The one thing that this question does tell us is that Jesus shatters all the ideas of who he is and where he came from. Any notion that he was going to be, you know, coming from Jerusalem or some prominent place is just uh, shattered when they find out that he's from Nazareth. I mean, people are expecting a Messiah who, who is going to, you know, come on a white horse, a powerful general that will overcome the Romans and, and put Israel back in its prominent place again. Up until this point, Jesus honestly has been disappointing people over and over again. First, he's born in a stable. Like, Really? Secondly, he lets the low life come and see him first. It's the shepherds that come. Like, where are the political influence? You know, people that have influence in politics. Why aren't they there? And here in this passage, he's disappointing people again because he's calling fishermen and tax collectors, people who would have been considered completely insignificant. And that's who Jesus is calling to follow him. This actually puts Nathaniel over the edge. He comes from where? And when Nathaniel asks the question, he says, can anything really good come from Nazareth? And Philip says, come and see. Like, no, come and see. Check it out for yourself. Come and see what I've been talking about all along. The question that Nathaniel asks, can anything good come from Nazareth? Really? is the same question that we ask all the time. You may not think about that, but we ask all the time, can light come from darkness? Can redemption come from wreckage? Can anything good come out of failure? Can anything good kind of come out of bankruptcy? Can anything good come out of a teenage pregnancy? Can anything good come out of a divorce? Can anything good come out of loneliness? Can anything good come from losing my job? Can anything good come from being rejected by the one that I love? Can anything good come out of my singleness? Can anything good come out of my shattered dreams? Can anything good come from a broken heart? Can anything good come with the death of my spouse? Can anything good come out of a, my deteriorating health? We've all wrestled with those kind of questions. And it makes sense, we're broken people living in a broken world. And let's be honest, life can be hard at times. Like it can be really, really hard. And I'll tell you, as a pastor, I hear stories all the time of life that has been wrecked. You know, people come down here and we'll share some stories and they'll meet me in my office or we'll have a meeting at Tim Hortons and they just kind of lay it out on the table. And sometimes, you know, you may be, tempted to think, Pastor Donald, I need to take you out sometime and see the real world. I'm like, the real world? <laughs> I get a front row view of it all the time. I mean, I've had the opportunities to deal with suicides and adultery and pornography addictions and teenage pregnancies and domestic abuse and drug addictions and have had to bury babies. Now, I've seen the real world. I've seen it up close, really close. And sometimes, you know, you see such wreckage in someone's life, you wonder, will they ever be able to hope again? Yeah, ask that stuff. And you look at things you're like, will this mess ever be able to be cleaned up? Can light come from darkness? Can redemption come out of wreckage? Will things ever be made right? 
You know, sometimes it's just so hard to see the light because of the fog that's in front of us. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Do you ever feel like that? Ever ask that question to yourself? Can anything good come out of this mess? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? I don't know if you heard about when um, John, John Brown wasn't feeling well. He called the doctor on Monday. He'd been sick all weekend. He called the doctor Monday morning. He said, doctor, I, I'm not feeling that well. I just wonder, can I get an appointment with you? And of course, the appointment was at 11 o'clock Monday morning. He went in, and the doctor took some tests. He explained some of his symptoms that he had, and the doctor said, listen, I'll run some tests, and I'll call you on Friday with the results. And so John goes back home. It's Monday. It's Tuesday. It's Wednesday. He's waiting. It's Thursday. It's Friday. He waits by the phone, and sure enough, the phone rings, and the doctor calls, and John says, okay, doctor, what's, what's, what's the story? The doctor says, you know what, I, I have some bad news, and I have some really bad news. He says, what? How, how's that going to help me? The doctor says, what do you want to hear first? He says, I, oh, I don't know. I, maybe, just let, I don't know. Just tell me the bad news. Maybe that will soften the blow for the really bad news. He says, well, the bad news is you only have 24 hours to live. What? How can it be any worse than that? I was supposed to call you yesterday. <laughs> do you ever feel like the only thing coming down the highway? The only thing coming down the turnpike, the only thing coming down the path, the only thing coming down the road, the only thing coming through the tunnel is bad news, only followed by worse news. You ever wonder if it's ever going to get better? You know, some of you here this morning, you've been married and you're still struggling with the things that you struggled with the first year, the fifth year, the tenth year, your 25th year, and you're wondering, will it ever get better? You know, some of you, you, you know, have children and you're wondering, will it ever get better? Because they've they just kind of gone off the deep end. I mean, you, you raised them, you brought them to church, you taught them how to, to read the Bible, you taught them how to pray, you, know, you invested money, you sent them to Christian school, you made sure they were in youth group, you, you were very particular about the friends that they had you know, and the environment that they were in, and then they become of age and they just bolt from everything that you've ever taught them. And you're like, Lord, like, what's that all about? What about that verse that says, train up a child the way you should go and he will not depart from it? Hey, what about that, Lord? Where are you? Where are you? Why won't you come and you help me? Lord, how long must this go on? The Puritans used to call it the dark night of the soul. Desperate. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip says, come and see. Come and see for yourself. And Nathaniel goes and he sees Jesus and Jesus blows his mind. Like he blows his mind. In fact, let's just read it there. Verse 47, it says, When Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he said to him, Here's a true Israelite in whom there is nothing false. And Nathaniel said, Well, how do you know me? He asked. Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathanael declared, Rabbi, you're the son of God. You're the king of Israel. Jesus says, you believe because I told you I saw you under a fig tree? You shall see greater things than that. Like, like Nathanael's blown out of the water by what he discovers in Jesus. You know, I want a, sometimes a piece of that action. Like, I want to see the greater things that God's doing. But here's the reality 
I don't often see those greater things. I just want to be able to see the normal things. And sometimes I'm like, God, where are you? Like it, sometimes it almost feels like, you know, God has abandoned us. He's just dropped off the face of the earth. Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Now, what's interesting is that when, when we get depressed or, or we feel like we're in despair, you know what we often do? We often turn inward to find hope. We, we often look inward to find solutions. That's just our natural default mode. That's what we just naturally do. We start looking inward. We're always looking for an answer from inside. You know, when things start going south and you realize something is broken, you just want to fix it. That's what we, that's what we want to do. We, we try to fix people and we try to fix circumstances. We try to manipulate certain situations to get it back on track again. And it seems like that every time we look internally for some hope and help, it collapses under the pressure. You know, you have a struggling marriage. You say, I'm going to fix my wife. I'm going to fix my husband. You got a child that seems to be off the rail. I'm going to fix my son. I'm going to fix my daughter. How's that going? How's that going? I think we know how it goes. When we finally get to the point to muster up enough eternal power to do something, we find oftentimes it just gets worse. And oftentimes, our counsel is trying to give swimming lessons to a drowning man. Like, like paddle harder, kick faster, come on, you can do it. Bite your, 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 your lip, do it. Grit your teeth, just do it. Nathaniel came full of doubt, like really, honestly, you think honestly something good can come out of Nazareth, really? As far as Nathaniel, the only thing that he knew about that town, it was bad, it was immoral, insignificant, it was not part of the cultural elite. Which got me thinking, isn't it interesting how hard, we work so hard to try to climb that ladder, don't we? To try to get to the top uh, of the ladder. I mean, I know, I, I'm guilty of it all the time. I, you know, I work hard, I want to work hard, I, I, I want to be good, I want to achieve, I want to get up there to the top. And it, which is so interesting because Jesus does the opposite. He says, you know, he chooses the foolish things to shame the wise. He takes the weak things to confuse the strong. Like, so often we think if we can just get to the top of the ladder, that's where we're going to find some freedom. And then we get to the top of the ladder, and then we discover, oh, it wasn't there. It must be on the next rung. And so we work a little bit harder to get the, take the next step. And honestly, it becomes exhausting because we try over and over and over again. The fact is, grace runs downhill it runs downhill God meets us at the bottom see God doesn't stop doesn't stand at the top of the ladder and go come on come on only 1500 steps left come on hey 1498 left come on that's not what Jesus does. He's not at the top of the ladder. God's at the bottom of the ladder saying, <laughs> it's finished. 
It, it's already been done. What are you doing? What are you doing up there? God came down because we couldn't go up. Christianity, by the way, is not for the strong and the good people. No, no, no. This book is not a, a book that guides the strong and the mighty. Christianity is, is for the bad and the weak. And quite honestly, that's really all there is in this world. The one thing that separates Christians from everyone else is the rescue of Christ. That's the only thing that separates us. It's Jesus' might. Although the world will try to avoid it, they'll say everything else, they'll snap out of it, come on, come on, get yourself out of this jam. It's Jesus. I have some good news for you. While we run from brokenness like it is a plague, God meets us right there at the bottom. He says, it's finished. It's done. Like, I did it for you already. Stop running. Stop running. Too often, we look inward with our inner strength to be able to accomplish. But it's when we turn to the external object of our faith that makes a difference. Too often, we just, we're, we're looking inside for answers. And I believe turning inward will always, I think it deepens the despair, actually. I think that's what happens. Our hope and security can't be found in ourselves. It can't be found in someone else. Our hope and security can only be found in Jesus Christ. And no matter what you are going through, whatever you're thinking, let me just tell you, you've, you've already been discovered by him. He knows you. The hero that you're looking for is not the hero within. It's the hero without that you're looking for. And the one who promises to make all things new, the one who promises to wipe away all tears, the one who promised to meet all your needs according to his riches is available for you. I want to tell you, the fact is people, people let you down. I mean, good people, really good people will let you down. I mean, the one that you've committed your life to in marriage, I mean, your spouse sometimes lets you down. Right? Your family sometimes lets you down. Your children sometimes let you down. Your pastor sometimes lets you down. Your church sometimes lets you down. Your friends sometimes just let you down. Because there's only one who can be perfect to keep all of his promises. And that's Jesus. I don't know um, if you've ever thought about it, but like he knows your problems. He knows your struggles. He knows that you can't rescue yourself. He knows that you're poor. He knows that you're weak. He knows all of your secrets. He knows all about those things that you hope and pray that no one ever discovers about you. He already knows that. Have you ever been in a conversation with somebody and you're talking and maybe you share a little bit of gossip that you shouldn't be talking and that person comes around the corner? Like, ooh, I've been caught. 
You're like, oh dear. Ever left a message on voicemail and that person shares it with somebody else? You're like, oh, they found out what I'm really like. Have you ever sent a text to the wrong person? And we get horrified when people find out what we're really like. Well, God knows all that stuff. God knows all that stuff. There are no surprises with him. No surprises. God hears every conversation that we have. He reads every text that we send. He knows the dirt on us. He does. He knows that we can't rescue ourselves. He knows that we hurt people that we love. He knows everything about us. He knows all of our secrets. He knows when we're overwhelmed. He knows when we're exhausted. He knows when we're hurting. He knows. And you know why he knows? Because he comes from there. He comes from Nazareth. I love how one pastor puts it. Our sin and our pain is God's hometown. That's where Jesus comes from. That's where he comes from. Can anything good come from Nazareth? Is there any hope? We say, come and see Jesus. Come and see for yourself. Because he comes from the same place that you and I come from. Hebrews 4 just to kind of back that up. In Hebrews 4, I love these verses that talk about Christ. In Hebrews 4, if I could actually find it, it's still in the Bible, I think. Hebrews 4, let me read this, 4, verse 14, it says, Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith that we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we have been, yet without sin. Let us then therefore approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. That's who he is. That's Jesus. All of your mess is where Jesus comes from. And in the person of Jesus, He died for it. He took all that stuff upon himself. All of our disappointments, all of our frustrations, all of our road rage, all the things that we wished, that we've said that we wish we could take back, all of our pride, all of our lust, all of our greed. He he took all that stuff upon himself. He became sin for us so that we could become the righteousness of God. And when he died on that cross, and when he rose again, it was done. Done. We can stop trying to prove ourselves to God. He's already done what was needed. There is grace for you. There is mercy for you. No matter how many times I've said that, there's always people who will come up to me, but you actually don't know my story. Because my story is bad. You think Nazareth was a bad town? No, 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 no. I come from the bad town. And they say, I, I, I just, I don't think God could look beyond that. And 
I always say, God's grace is greater than your sin. He goes, and, but people say, but, but my sin reaches really far. I go, yeah, I know. But isn't it great that his grace reaches farther? No matter how far our sin reaches, and it does reach far, we know that. God's grace always seems to just to go a little bit farther. That's the grace of God. Listen, he knows all the junk in your life. He's already aware of all that stuff. And he still offers grace to you. Isn't that amazing? Like he knows the dirt. He knows everything about you. And he says, I still want to give you some grace. I still want to extend it to you. That's the kind of God that died on a cross and rose three days later. Can anything good come out of this mess that I find myself in? Can anything good come out of Nazareth? Yes. Yes. Something good can. It's Jesus. It's Jesus. And I simply just want to close with this. Like, do you know him? Not, do you know lots of things about him? I mean, do you know him? Do you know him in such a way that you have experienced what it is to receive the grace of God? Do you know him in such a way where it's a game changer for you? Do you know him in such a way you finally realize he's done it all for me already? It's been done. I don't have to keep, keep at it, keep working, keep trying to prove myself to God. No, he's done it. Do you know him in that way? If you don't, this could be a day that could be a defining moment for you where you would just give your life to Jesus on Resurrection Sunday. Let's pray. Our Father, this morning, we thank you for what really is the most incredible day. It's the most incredible day. I mean, it was incredible that Jesus would actually go to the cross for us, that he would actually take upon the sins of the world. That was amazing. And then they buried him. And if he had just stayed in that grave, we would still be hopeless. So God, we, we are so thankful because of the resurrection of Christ, the fact that Jesus conquered death gives us hope. And so this morning, Father, we, our prayer is that for anyone, anyone that would be here this morning who doesn't know Jesus in a way where that you're their personal Savior, God, we would pray that today they would surrender their life to you. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.